Hello and welcome to Alongside, the podcast from Standard Club for the shipping industry across the world. I'm Kate Borsay. In this episode, we look in detail at how the maritime industry is tackling the issue of becoming greener, with a focus on alternative fuels and decarbonisation. We really are, you know, at the cutting edge of, of technology here. This, in a way, is sort of the fourth propulsion revolution. The conversations have moved past whether we're going to decarbonise. Really, the question is, how fast can we do it? When can we get it done? Despite the need for urgent action and to meet targets set for the industry, we've heard previously on Alongside that there is some confusion about what fuels to adopt and a need for greater understanding about safety and insurance implications. To discuss this, we're joined by David Roberts, who is Managing Director of Standard Asia, and by Professor Lin Liu, who's CEO of the Global Centre for Maritime Decarbonisation. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Kate. Lynn, let's start with you and an outline of the work that you and your organization do in this sector. So we are uh, an NGO, a nonprofit, and we were formed about 14 months ago. Um, The mission of GCMD for short um, is uh, to help the international shipping sector eliminate uh, its greenhouse gas emissions. And we do this by helping shape future fuel standards, by financing first-of-a-kind projects, and by piloting low-carbon solutions and technologies under real-world operation uh, conditions. And the idea is, you know, if these pilots fail, we fail fast and we learn faster. And when they're successful, we go a long ways to helping uh, the industry uh, lower the barrier and adopt these uh, low-carbon solutions so that we can uh, get on the journey of decarbonization. And what's your role within that, Lynn? So I lead uh, the Global Center for Maritime Decarbonization. Um, And so in that respect, um, I uh, look at bringing in partners uh, who uh, are willing to participate um, uh, with us um, in in these pilots. And participation can uh, be in many ways. Uh, It could be financing, uh, providing the finance uh, to to do some of these pilots. More importantly, it could be uh, participating in the form of being involved in the pilots, right? Um, And then the other is um, we are a group of engineers and scientists, and so we can do the due diligence, understand the pain points and scope pilots so that we can address these pain points. And David, to you, at Standard Asia, how long have you been having discussions? How how far back do the discussions go about alternative fuels and decarbonisation? We're used to talking about it now, but I wonder when those discussions started for you. They really started, uh, Kate, about two years ago. Um, and that is when we decided that given the uh, IMO's plans and the trajectory uh, of the uh, industry in respect of uh, low carbon, uh, the club really needed to um, develop uh, its own expertise uh, in this important area so that we're in a position to uh, advise uh, and assist our members in the transition. And I think it's important at this stage to state that we have never viewed our role as being to tell our members, and our members, of course, are the ship owners or charterers, the case may be, 
to tell our, our members which alternative fuels they should be using or which design approaches they should be taking to to their vessels. That is certainly not the role of the PNI club, and I think uh, the other PNI clubs in the international group would agree with that. Our role, rather, is to guide uh, and and assist, uh, most importantly in relation to the insurance coverages that that we're uh, providing. That's how we see our role at GCMD as well. It's not to sort of specify which fuel, um, which fuel type is is sort of the future fuel. Um, rather, it's to to show these different pathways and to um, identify the gaps and the bottlenecks for these different pathways, and then to try and address these gaps to enable uh, the sector to be able to adopt any of these solutions. Lynn, there are various targets associated with net zero, for example, the Paris Climate Agreement, net zero by 2050 to achieve the 1.5 degrees Celsius climate goal. I wonder whether the shipping industry is aligned with any of those targets. Do you work to them at all? So the shipping industry um, is uh, regulated by uh, a single um, uh, regulatory authority. This is the International Maritime Organization, and the IMO has set its target uh, to uh, reduce its greenhouse gas emissions by 50% uh, by 2050 um, relative to the 2008 levels. So this is not aligned with the Paris uh, target, um, uh, in part because shipping is a very difficult to abate sector. Um, even getting to this 50% uh, reduction is challenging in itself. Um, so there is call for us to revisit this target um, so that it's Paris aligned. Um, so I think signaling the ambition is important. Um, but at the same time, we need to look at sort of um, what's on the ground and how we can get there. So to me, that's sort of looking at um, the intercept, right? Net zero at 2050 and the slope. And so if you want the intercept to be fixed at net zero at 2050, that means the slope needs to be steeper. So a steeper slope, there is work to be done. Um, from your perspective, David, is the industry ready um, for those targets, for the regulatory changes that are coming in next year? It's complex. It's complex. I, I think um, many parts of the industry are ready. Uh, others, it's probably fair to say, are less ready. But I would agree with Lynn, you know, that we shouldn't underestimate the, the extent of the challenge here. And, you know, collectively worldwide, not simply in the shipping industry, but um, across all sectors, you know, we're trying to make up for lost time by doing a whole load of stuff in a very short period of time. And that presents, you know, massive challenges. And those challenges, of course, are compounded by um, what is what is going on right now globally. You know, we see massive uh, volatility we have surveyed our, our membership, and that survey shows that uh, a high proportion of our members are uh, either ready or will shortly be ready in anticipation of the January 23 uh, deadline. Um, sh shipping does consist of, of many different sectors, and there are particular challenges in, in different sectors of shipping. And of course, you know, th there are big ship owners and smaller ship owners. Uh, and I, I'm sure one of the factors at play here is, uh, is finance. 
and finance weaves through all of this, you know, the availability of, of, of finance, the measures that are being requested and indeed demanded um, don't come cheap. So compounding that, I would say, is, um, is uh, the notion that in order for shipping to decarbonize, we rely on stakeholders and players outside the sector, right? I mean, um, in order for shipping to decarbonize, we're looking at zero carbon fuels. That's sort of the end goal. Um, again, I mean, acknowledging that there are things we can do in the meantime, but really, if you want to decarbonize, you need to look at zero carbon fuels. Um, and the production of zero carbon fuels are, aren't at scale. And then, as David mentioned, uh, cost is an issue. Um, we can look at how these zero carbon fuels are produced. Um, you need to have sufficient renewable electrons to generate the green hydrogen. And then once you have the green hydrogen that has many end applications, one of the end applications is to generate then the green fuels, whether it's uh, ammonia or uh, methanol or uh, any synthetic fuels um, for the shipping sector. And so we're sort of um, um, at the mercy of um, players outside the sector. Um, and it requires us to think about new infrastructure because these are new fuels that um, we've not used as bunker fuels before. Um, so the build out of the infrastructure is going to take time. It's going to take financing. Um, so, so it's sort of in addition to the financing, the ambition, I think time is an element that we just can't sort of throw out the window. It, it's just going to take time. I would thoroughly uh, agree, Lynn, with you on all of that. And um, you know, there's a myriad of, of different technologies here, different fuels, as, as you rightly say. Uh, I, I think, you know, many people outside the shipping industry um, don't fully appreciate that a lot of those technologies are still effectively, you know, in experimental form. Um, and, and Lynn, your organization, of course, is involved in trialing some of these, but not all of them, I believe, um, are even ready for the trials. We're talking about new new uh, technologies. Um, the ship designs, you know, the the engine designs in particular, have to be adapted, uh, Kate, to deal with these new fuels. So uh, we really are, you know, at the cutting edge of of technology here. And Lynn, I think you said earlier, you know, that um, this in a way is sort of uh, could be viewed as the fourth uh, propulsion revolution. You know, we we start off with with wind and sail. The world then develops through to coal and steam, then to oil, and now we're looking at zero carbon fuels. Uh, and as you said, Lynn, you know the the previous um, uh, stages of the, uh, the of the cycle, uh, you know we've had much longer to to deal with those and get used to them. Here we're being asked to do things in a in a very short space of time, but a lot of the um, the fuels are experimental. The engines haven't necessarily been been fully developed. The designs, uh, so understandably, you know, ship owners um, are faced with a huge challenge, and that's before you've started talking about the cost of these things. You know, so uh, wh when is a ship owner? At what point is a ship owner going to make that commercial decision to invest in a new fuel technology? Are they going to take it? Um, you know, are they going to be the the trialers of it, um, the guinea pig, if you like, of of that new technology, or are they going to prefer to wait until you know it's more settled? 
So um, these are really, really difficult commercial decisions and at a time when inflation is going through the roof. So you could um, invest a whole load of money in one of these uh, new technologies and then end up with what economists call a stranded asset, you know, something that just doesn't work out and has been superseded by other technologies. I think that's why um, organizations like like GCMD is so important uh, because we're here and we're able to do some of these trials. And so, I mean, I'll give you a concrete example. I mean, what we're trying to do is identify the gaps, right? Um, so, um, you know, um, we're looking at ammonia as a potential future fuel, green ammonia. Um, you can look up and down the supply chain. Well, upstream of us, uh, these are the fuel producers. Uh, they're working on scaling um, and figuring out how to scale it and in the cheapest manner possible, uh, the production of green ammonia. Um, of course, in the shipping sector, the first engine is said to be available um, in 2024, and then the first ship would be available shortly after that in 2025. And so as we speak with stakeholders uh, in our ecosystem, we identified a gap. And that gap is looking at the safety associated with bunkering ammonia and using ammonia as a marine fuel. Um, so we wanted to do a pilot to bunker ammonia. Um, and then we realized quickly that we can't actually do a pilot to bunker ammonia because there are no safety guidelines associated with bunkering uh, ammonia and using ammonia as a fuel. Um, so we actually took one step back and we commissioned a safety study. This was the, one of the first things we did at GCMD. And this safety study is to define the safety envelopes and the operation envelope um, on bunkering ammonia. How do you do so safely? Because ammonia is super toxic, right? And um, so this study is ongoing. It's being led by DNV and Servana Jurong and uh, Singapore Maritime Academy. Um, so in addition to identifying the safety guidelines, it's really uh, to look at developing a competency framework because you need to train the seafarers uh, to be able to handle uh, ammonia safely. Um, we can piggyback on the safety guidelines that exist for looking at transporting ammonia as a cargo, but that's insufficient because um, when we talk about using ammonia as a bunkering fuel, the transfer frequency and the volume, volumetric flow rates are actually quite different. You'd be doing it at a port that's significantly more crowded as opposed to um, being in a remote chemical site. So um, the safety guidelines need to be bolstered, essentially. And so that's what this safety studies is, is all about. Um, I'm happy to report that um, there are no showstoppers uh, so far that's been identified, and this uh, safety study will be completed by the end of the year. Um, and in doing this, you know, we're assembling industry partners to provide their expertise and their experience so that, you know, the safety study is robust. And we're getting an understanding here of how complex it is. It's not just using an alternative fuel and giving it a go. There are huge implications for ground that hasn't been trodden before, materials that haven't been transported in this way or used in this way before. Um, and it's great that the Centre for Maritime decarbonisation is um, involved in some of those early processes. It does naturally lead me, David, to ask you about the insurance implications. Lots of different alternative fuels. Lynn's mentioned a few, and I know you have too. How does the insurance industry navigate for all these changes? It feels like it's an evolving situation and, and, and probably will be over the next decade. 
Yeah, it, it is evolving. I mean, over uh, the decades, and the PI Club system has been going for about 150 years, we have adapted our cover always to meet the needs of new challenges, new situations uh, for the protection of our members. And this is a classic example of where uh, it might be necessary to make some tweaks in the fullness of time to the cover. We feel that the cover is broadly um, okay. Uh, at the moment. The risks that we're looking at in the context of alternative fuels, and Lynn, you've touched upon uh, uh, a few of them already, but the key risks I would say are injury, uh, illness or death risks to crew and passenger, passengers caused by the use of alternative fuels. Uh, That's one. Uh, Another would be pollution. This would be um, pollution or environmental damage caused by um, the use of alternative fuels. And the third key area would be fines and other related penalties imposed by international authorities for um, breach of the statutory requirements. So those are the main areas that uh, our cover would respond to. But there are many other areas where claims could arise For example, if you have a ship that um, loses main engine power caused by um, uh, a particular alternative fuel, so that the the qualities of that fuel uh, cause damage or failure to the the engine, the ship is um, underway, loses power, um, and drifts. In so drifting, she could then uh, come into contact with um, uh, a port facility or berth or indeed another ship or some other obstruction, which could on a worst case result in that ship sinking or grounding with the need for um, hugely expensive wreck removal, uh, loss of cargo, leakage of cargo, all of those sorts of scenarios. So that's um, you know perhaps more on the extreme side, but certainly the coverage that we have would respond to all of those sorts of losses. And remember that we give very high limits of cover uh, for um, most of these risks. So uh, the, the club system is there to protect owners and also charterers, although charterers' interest is clearly a bit different uh, in the context of alternative fuels. And uh, we believe our members should therefore rest assured that they have the necessary coverages. And as I say, if in the fullness of time, it becomes necessary to tweak or enhance uh, the cover that we give to respond to um, to particular risks that we do, let's call them emerging risks that's, that we don't yet fully understand or indeed that we may not uh, fully be aware of at, at this point in time, then our ship owner boards, I have no doubt, would, would consider such adjustments. Lynn, I'm interested to know more broadly from you whether these targets Um, particularly um, the one set by uh, the IMO, whether it's realistic. We've we've heard some really interesting thoughts there, um, you know, from an insurance point of view from David, um, but also from yourself about examples like ammonia, you know, different using alternative fuels, which is is key to decarbonisation. Are the targets broadly realistic? The targets are there. The targets are the targets. Um, and I think we need to work towards the targets um, is, is really the short answer. I think that's right. And 
you know, I mean, th there are, you know, many in the industry and observers of the industry who, who criticize the targets, who say, um, in particular, that they're not uh, ambitious enough. So that's, that's an issue. Do they go far enough? Um, many say no. There are many who say that um, even if they do go far enough, how are you going to enforce them? And I think there's a growing concern that they lack teeth. Um, you know, if, if you have a, a ship that, uh, you know, has, has effectively failed its um, CII exam, if I can put it like that, how do you stop that ship from going into a particular port? Um, what powers do have do port state control have? Do do state authorities have? So I think I think this this is certainly perceived to be by many as an issue right now. Um, you know that inevitably there will be a section of the industry, as we were discussing earlier, who um, you know are, are are finding it a bit more challenging to comply uh, for various reasons and might be late in complying. So I think the um, the IMO is meeting next year and will be discussing such matters and possible ways of, of, of tightening up and, and enforcing uh, compliance. And uh, I think there's a particular review, as I understand it, taking place in 2026. It seems like a long way away. Um, it's possible that the the EXC uh, provisions will be strengthened uh, from that time. So um, yeah, you know, what, what one issue is, is compliance. You know, the, 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 the ability of people to comply. The other is how are we going to enforce it for those people who don't? Definitely. I think, I think signaling and ambition is very important because I think it's the beacon that we're after, right? It's sort of the lighthouse and the beacon that we're after. So I think having an ambition is critically important. But at the same time, I think we just need to be sober about the scale, the cost, and the time. And so for GCMD, we're more focused on the slope. How can we get as steep a slope as possible? How can we accelerate this journey um, so that we can get there as quickly as possible? Because in my mind, I think, you know, the conversations have moved past whether we're going to do this and whether we're going to decarbonize. Really, the question is, how fast can we do it? When can we get it done? Right? So it's about the timing. So the, the ambition is there. It's important because it's a beacon. And then we just need to kind of get going, roll up our sleeves and do it call to action there from you, Lynn. Uh, you touched earlier on um, the energy crisis that's impacting the whole world because of the war in Ukraine. And I, I actually wonder whether whether this will accelerate a move to alternative fuels or whether, because things are so expensive at the moment, that sets the industry back. Yeah, um, I think David touched upon this um, a little bit. And in the short term, I think we're going to see carbon emissions go up. In the short term, we're going to see a crunch. And then hopefully um, what the conflict has done is to raise awareness and is to, um, is to actually um, kind of push the tail forward so that, you know, we end up with a good outcome um, subsequently. Yeah, David, just, just elaborate on that. As we look for positives, we've obviously discussed a lot about the challenges of trying to meet some of those targets and try and get um, all different parts of the shipping industry involved in that. Um, where are the positives here? We are, you know, understanding lots about different alternative fuels. It's an exciting area. It's a growing area. Um, where is the optimism um, for you? 
I, th I think the optimism uh, in in well in simplistic terms really is is all about saving the planet, and that that's clearly what we're all trying to achieve here. And uh, with that in mind, um, we need to be optimistic uh, about the investments we're making at this time, whether in terms of alternative fuel technology or otherwise. And as Lynn said, you know, the in the short term, it's bumpy. You know, there's been there's a lot of focus, for example, at the moment on um, lack of uh, conventional energy sources, such as you know, oil and gas. And that that is probably in the short term going to going to spur well that together with the higher oil price and gas price is probably going to spur uh, increased exploration and development uh, rather than less exploration and development. But in the long term, I'm very hopeful, as as Lynn said, that and certainly by let's say 2050, that we should be looking at a situation where at least half of um, global energy supply is coming from non-fossil fuels. And the great thing about um, the renewables and the electrification piece, you know, the whole battery piece, is that actually um, it should be cheaper. Mo most projections are showing that that should be cheaper. So, you know, we need to get through uh, the next, you know, 20 years or so and uh, invest and stick with it and um, we, for example, on the insurance side, on the services side, need to be supporting uh, our members in order to achieve that, just as Lynn in her business in the GCMD is um, trialing and, and supporting all of these. It, it is very much you know, about partnership, Lynn, isn't it? And, and you know, that was the word you used earlier. Um, you know, no one sector is going to achieve this by itself. You know, we're all, we, we live in an ecosystem, a maritime ecosystem, and, and indeed a wider um, economic uh, financial ecosystem. And we all have to support each other. And I'm very optimistic uh, about that. And, you know, we're seeing that happening, you know, in Singapore, both Lynn and I are based here in Singapore. And uh, there is very significant impetus. You know, the Singapore government is is hugely involved in, in, in all of this. Um, we have, you know, most of the PNI clubs have representation here in Singapore. Um, you know, everybody is is talking about this and doing stuff about this. So that gives me gives me huge optimism. At the same time, I'm very sanguine and mindful about the about the challenges. Um, and I think, you know, we need to be very mindful about the challenges, because if we don't properly understand the challenges, then that could um, impact on our ability to succeed. But I have no doubt that we will succeed. And one just has to look at the the huge work um, on, on the technology side, for example, that has been put in in a very short space of time. I mean, just, you know, over the last two years, for example. And it seems, Lynn, you know, to be gaining momentum. That's the impression I have. Yeah, I can't agree more with what David said. Um, I would just add one point um, um, to, to why I'm hopeful. I like to use the word hopeful more than optimistic um, because I feel like that's more of a verb and it's more action-oriented. But anyway, um, I, I think, you know, shipping is such an integral part of the global supply chain. If we don't decarbonize, many sectors can't decarbonize. Our scope one emissions 
are many sectors scope three emissions, right? And so I think we have to decarbonize. And so that gives us the impetus to do it and do it fast. Um, that's, um, and I think, you know, what we can do in addition to trialing and to piloting um, some of these solutions um, um, to see how we can add value. Um, the other thing we can do is to, to raise awareness. Um, I think there are lots of different solutions. And so it's really important to know how we can measure carbon, uh, carbon emissions and the carbon intensity. Um, right. And so, I mean, just even looking at these alternative fuels and you just have to look at the biofuels that are available. I mean, they all have different carbon footprint. And so it's to understand how to measure the carbon footprint so that you know um, how, how much, to what extent um, your investment is actually uh, abating carbon emissions, for example. So, um, so in, in doing so, what we've also just recently done is to launch a pilot. Um, we do this with biofuels simply because biofuels are available, but it's to provide the quality, quantity, and abatement assurance on biofuels on the supply chain side, right? To bolster the supply chain integrity, to be able to justify the green fuel premium that's associated with purchasing biofuels. Um, so understanding that life cycle analysis and understanding how you calculate the uh, the carbon emissions abatement or carbon abatement associated with an alternative fuel is super important. And so to the extent that um, we can contribute to that, uh, that's what GCMD is doing as well. Well, it's been so fascinating to hear from both of you as we discuss the aim by the IMO to reduce greenhouse gases by 50%. Lynn, you say it's a steep slope to meet, but having a target is a good thing. And it's really important to raise awareness. And for you, David, you're realistic about the challenges ahead. And you've highlighted really how important it is to support businesses through this period. Thank you to both of you for joining us on this episode of Alongside. That's David Roberts, Managing Director of Standard Asia, and Professor Lin Lu from the Global Centre for Maritime Decarbonisation. Join us next time on Alongside when we continue to explore key topics affecting the maritime industry and those who are part of it. Click follow on this podcast to ensure you don't miss an episode. Thank you again to both our guests. From me, Kate Borsay, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.